Well, hey there. Welcome to live stream number 26. Um, I am just checking out the live stream. Okay. I think everything is kosher. Uh, happy Saturday out there to you at home, viewers at viewers at home. I have to refresh my restream chat so that you can participate. Feel free to drop your questions in the chat. YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, your platform of choice. Um, all right, jumping into the topics for today. First up, life hack. This is my latest life hack I discovered yesterday. Uh, throwing my floor, uh, throwing my <laughs> phone on the ground, specifically in the car. Not, I'm, I'm not talking about now that the picture I threw up is just one of the greatest memes of all time, slightly related to what I'm talking about, which is, uh, throwing, uh, your, uh, throwing the phone to the ground. But, um, so this is, um, I was, you know, I sometimes when I'm in the car, uh, hate to admit it might get distracted, might look at my phone in scenarios where I shouldn't, uh, maybe at a stoplight, things like that. And I'm going, you know, this is a bad habit. I gotta, I gotta stop this. Um, but it's like, man, if that, if that, uh, if that phone is within reach of my hand, just that phone twitch reflex that so many of us have kicks in. And before I know it, I grab the phone. So my latest thing I do is, you know, maybe I have my headphones in, maybe I'm listening to a podcast. I'm probably listening to a podcast. And what I do is I take my phone. I literally throw it to the passenger side, <laughs> uh, the passenger side on the ground of the car. Um, so that I can't touch it right while I'm driving. And it's so funny because emotionally when I do that, I have this reaction of like, oh my gosh, what if, what if I need my phone? Uh, what if I need to call somebody or did And of course the nice thing about the headphones is if somebody calls you, you know, you can tap to answer things like that. Um, and even with a call, you know, you really don't need to take the call. Like if something is um, that important, you know, you can stop somewhere and do what you need to do. And if it's not that important then wait, you know, the 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes till you're done driving and deal with it then. And I think, uh, so much of the time we allow ourselves to be distracted by things that really don't matter. Um, so that's my new thing. I, when I get in the car, I'm throwing my phone on the ground, uh, passenger side of the car so that I'm not, uh, distracted by it. So you, you are free to, uh, adopt that that life hack as well. All right, next up, uh, this is a tweet from Fernando Ulrich, which I saw yesterday on Bitcoin. You know, I'm, I've done some stuff. I've talked about Bitcoin. I'm kind of a fan of it. I haven't invest. I think I have 0 0.003 Bitcoin somewhere. I'm not, haven't invested. I, I like to, uh, make predictions and thought lead on the topic of Bitcoin, but I, I don't have the risk tolerance to actually invest in it. Anyways, um, so this is a really interesting sort of summary of, uh, you know, sort of what Bitcoin has done today. 600,000 blocks of transactions, 465 million total transactions, 18 million total Bitcoins mined, 99.98% uptime, running 24-7, 365 over 10 years in pure anarchy. In other words, decentralized, no central sort of government, sort of ownership direction of it, um, which is just mind-boggling you know and obviously bitcoin has its challenges it's 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 um 
you know, it's, it's sort of, uh, sl it's slowed down. A lot of people make the argument that it's more of a store of value than, uh, than, 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 uh, than, uh, what's the word for it? Than like a good, um, than a good currency for transactions because of, you know, how slow it's become and whatnot. No, obviously there's a lot of other alternatives in terms of cryptocurrency, but Bitcoin being, you know, sort of the, the, the father, the mother of all cryptocurrencies. Uh, so it's just, I mean, looking at these numbers is just incredibly impressive. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, some people say crypto is going to change the world, you know, as we know it, uh, as significantly as the Internet has changed the world as we know it. Other people say, nah, it's not going to last. And those arguments are going to continue. No one's going to really know until till it happens, you know. So we'll, we will, we shall see. Um, but it's, it really is pretty wild to see those numbers all in one place. Okay. Next up, I want to talk about podcasting and I am going to, uh, pull up anchor.fm in order to do that. Specifically what, um, I wanted to say is that you know, I think I've, I've, I've talked about the idea of a recession in the past. A lot of people have said we're probably overdue for a recession. And um, I was listening to something yesterday. This is something Gary Vee talks about a lot in different contexts. But um, I think that um, when the recession hits, ad spend is going to shift. Ad spend is already shifting to podcasts. I was listening to, uh, I think, Startup Podcast yesterday by Gimlet. And I noticed an ad from... Um, an ad from, uh, gosh, it was, it's, it's this, I uh, can't remember. It's this big, like chemical engineering company, like this gigantic, you know, not like a Silicon Valley startup that you'd typically hear, you know, not a MeUndies that you'd typically hear on a podcast. It was like, a, um, oh God, not down. Oh God. I can't remember the name of it, but it was, a, it was a large established business. It was essentially doing sort of corporate PR and talking about some of the, some of the positive initiatives they have around climate, um, uh, on their ad. And I was thinking to myself, like, it's wild that, you know, these more traditional dollars are starting to funnel into podcast spend. And when the recession hits, that trend is going to accelerate like crazy because, you know, Gary Vee talks about this all the time. TV ads are overpriced. When a recession hits, those, that money's going to go into social media and part of social media being podcasts. Um, and like, if you, like, if we think that podcasts are hot right now, like in terms of ad spend, um, podcasts are going, when, when the recession hits, they're going to go through the roof. And so, Hey, start a podcast, right? start a podcast now, try to get yourself ready for it. Um, get yourself ahead of the curve and anchors probably a good way to do that. By the way, this is not a sponsored anchor thing. I won't do ever do anything sponsored on these. Uh, I was listening to a buddy's podcast, and they did actually have an anchor ad spot in there, uh, which is what made me think to say that. Okay, next up. No code um, is democratizing app creation the way that YouTube has democratized content. Um, this is interesting. So... So, uh, Joe Brown, who's somebody I recently connected with on Twitter, does some interesting no code stuff. And I saw this tweet yesterday and it kind of blew my mind a little bit. So, 
um, Joe has done a bunch of different apps um, using no code, using Bubble, using different um, uh, platforms, mostly Bubble, I think. He has a, a uh, platform called New Code, which is sort of a um, sort of a community curation of different no code um, uh, builds and whatnot. Anyways, so the tweet is: I hundred percent forgot about this old hotel chat app I built in Bubble Group. Design still holds up. Um, and then there's a couple screenshots. And what was wild to me about um, about this is like in thinking about you know coding versus no code like there's no such thing as forgetting about something you coded like so much blood sweat and tears goes into coding that you just there's no it like it does not exist that you forgot about something you coded right um whereas you know the whole thing with no code is that the, the amount of friction is reduced to the point where you can build, and I think Joe and others that are that are doing this, I mean, you can build an app in a day, in seven days. You can build a non-trivial app in a short amount of time, you know, which is why it's possible to build something and completely forget about it, um, which on the one hand is, 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 is it's crazy, but it's also sort of a, a good thing in the sense anything that reduces friction and creating value is a good thing. Um, but I, I, that just sort of blew my mind. Um, and it made me think that, um, so, you know, I think as developers, we get a little uncomfortable with the idea of, of no code, you know, is this going to take away our, our, our jobs kind of a thing. Um, and, uh, sort of a, a vision that I had when I was seeing this and thinking about this is that. No code is helping to democratize app development in the same way that YouTube has democratized content. Does that mean now, does that mean that it's easy to be successful on YouTube? The answer is no, right? Uh, my channel is a case in point. It's taking forever to get any views whatsoever. <laughs> but, um, but the point is that um, just because content creation is democratized on YouTube, what that means is on any given topic, you know, in the past, pre YouTube on any given topic, you know, um, on the topic of how to garden, right? There was a handful of TV shows that were approved by the gatekeepers on TV networks and generally had a certain level of quality post YouTube on the topic of how to garden. There are a million videos, most of which are low quality, right? Um, and the ones that stick out on YouTube are the ones that are really high quality. So over time there develops a barrier to entry. And if you want to, I mean, you can put a video on YouTube, uh, easily in the same way you can build a no cat, no code app easily. Right. And on, in any given category, um, you know, in the category of, for example, uh, ho a hotel chat app, right. There's instead of there being, you know, three to five to 10 options, there's going to be thousands of options in every category, most of which will be low quality, most of which will be something somebody did real quick. They didn't put a lot of design polish into it. They didn't put a lot of, a lot of marketing spend into it. Da, 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 da. All the same analogies to YouTube, right? The YouTube videos that stand out are the ones where they, they put a lot of money into production quality. They put a lot of effort into distribution, into uh, networking and all those kinds of things. Those are the ones that stand out. So the same dynamics will take place with, uh, with no code. Um, so there will be a, a barrier to entry. Um, 
but uh, but overall, you know, it'll be good for that to be democratized further. Um, quick sip of coffee. Okay, next up. Next up. Startup episode. So I was listening. I've, I've talked about, I think, every episode now of the last season of Startup. Um, and I was listening to the final episode in the season, which is called Exit. Um, and, uh, I felt, um, as I was, so, so in this episode, Alex is sort of saying, you know, goodbye to everybody. It's the final episode. Um, and the final season of startup, he says, listen, this, you know, because startup started with the first season where he was building the company and then it progressed and they did different seasons on different topics. And this is the final season. He's, he says, this is it. This is it forever. The final episode of the final season, it's over. Um, now that they've been acquired by Spotify. And as I was listening to it, I found myself feeling like emotional and like just really happy for, um, Alex, uh, and also, uh, his, his partner, but more so for Alex, because he's the person that I, you know, hear, um, and have a little bit more of a connection. And it's just incredible. The connection that you can have with a podcast with a podcast host, there's this incredibly intimate connection that you feel, which is not, I don't, I don't know if it's mimicked by any other medium. Um, I've experienced this myself to a very small degree with mage talk and stuff where people are like, listen to it. And then I meet them in person. They're like, Oh, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's really cool. But, but it's just incredible because I found myself feeling just so genuinely happy for him thinking back to, um, the, the, cause I remember first, when I first listened to that first season, um, and you had no idea if he was going to make it or not. You heard his first pitch to a VC, which was horrible. Um, and actually it's funny. I was thinking about that pitch. And then at the tail end of the final episode, they played that clip of audio, uh, which was perfect. And, it, and so you didn't know if it was going to work and he didn't know if it was going to work. It was, you were seeing it happen, you know, as it happened. Um, and so then we saw it succeed. We saw the company grow and then we saw the acquisition and Alex in the final episode was just, you know, saying thank you and whatnot. And, uh, it just kind of was, it was just incredible how I was feeling so emotional about it and thinking about the dynamics of, you know, the connection you have to a podcast and, and whatnot. So, so that was cool. Um, and, uh, Alex Bloomberg is the man. All right, next up, uh, Tiny Seed Tales. So another person I'm a gigantic fan of and that I've, I've listened to on podcast uh, uh, actually for a long time is Rob Walling. Um, Startups for the Rest of Us podcast, founder of Drip, um, now more recently founder of Tiny Seed, which is, sort of, which is, uh, which is uh, a, an investment uh, fund for bootstrap businesses. And um, I, I, um, I've never met Rob. Uh, I have, I haven't gone to micro. Oh, also the creator of MicroConf, which is a conference for Bootstrap founders. Um, I haven't gone to MicroConf because I'd never gone because I always go to Magento Imagine, which is like one week beforehand, and it's just like it's just a weird conflict. Anyways, um, but it's like I feel this this similarly this intimate connection because I've listened to Startups for the Rest of Us for so long. I haven't listened recently, but I I listened to that podcast for several years as I was building my, my first business. And, um, anyways, it's just incredible. Like everything that Rob has done, 
um, uh, with with Drip being you know wildly successful and being acquired, um, and more recently uh, he's launching season one of a podcast next Thursday. It follows a startup founder over, over several months. I've been podcasting for nearly ten years and and seven hundred episodes. This is by far the most time, effort, and money I've invested into a podcast, which is saying a lot. And I listened real quickly to this clip, and um, you know, Tiny Seed in of itself is really 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 interesting um they're they're funding bootstrap founders um giving them access to tools and a team of mentors and some funding uh i think it's it's going to be uh, massively successful it's already i'm sure very successful um and then and then i see that he's going to be doing a podcast following a founder i'm like going oh my god this is going to be so good i can't wait to hear it um, I can't wait to listen to it. And it's like, man, everything Rob touches turns to gold. It's so, it's so cool to see. And like, I remember, I remember one time I was on a, I was on a plane and, and, and it was in that phase where I was building my first business and, and trying to figure things out and struggling. And I read his book, um, starts, uh, um, uh, start small, stay small, where he talked about how, you know, it's okay to be a small business. You don't have to, and this is a thread that you see in everything Rob does, is you don't have to go that route of let's be VC funded, let's be a unicorn, let's be gigantic. You can have a great profitable business that's uh, smaller. You can design it the way you want around your lifestyle. And he's done that with, you know, MicroConf is micro. It's all about those smaller businesses, tiny seed. It's about, you know, that, that theme of, and it's funny because on the one hand, Rob is definitely staying small in all of these different ways. And at the same time, he's had massive successes with these, with these businesses and is now, uh, you know, an investor, right? Like, and it's great. It's just like, it's, it's really cool to see really unique what Rob has done. And I'm sure I'm going to meet him one of these days and, and get to tell him how awesome I think he is, but I'm looking forward to, um, to this podcast for show. All right, next up, um, short and medium form. Let me wait for this page to load up here. 18 minutes in here in the program. Um, okay, so long. I've been thinking about long form text, and I just Googled long form text and pulled up the first result, which is WordStream. Um, so I'm not sort of necessarily responding directly to this article, but I like to have a visual on screen for every topic I'm talking about. Um, but what I've been thinking about was, um, and, and the article is what, what is long form content? Why does it work? And, you know, um, I'm not too directly in the like content, like, like, like SEO space in terms of like long form content, but based on what I remember, I'm not sure if this is still completely accurate, but like if you want to have content rank well on Google, you want it to be long, you know, like you want it to be a gigantic piece of content. Of course, you want it to be high quality as well. Um, but like it's funny because um, I've been consuming a lot of content, a lot of stuff on Twitter and, you know, tweets are small, right? Tweet threads can be longer, but you can really consume and learn an incredible amount of information in, in short form, right? And in some ways, there's something much more elegant about uh, short form content, saying things concisely, right? Like some of Naval Ravikant's tweets are just 
mind benders. I, one I remember recently was um, universities are the new taxi medallions. Small tweet. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, you know. And so um, it's funny. I, I'm in this weird mode where I'm consuming more content than ever. I'm, I'm learning more content. I'm learning more than ever. And at the same time, every time I see a long article, I just don't I don't have the patience to read long form right now. Which is maybe is maybe is um, maybe is a flaw. Probably is a flaw. Could be a flaw, but at the same time, it's kind of like I think that there's to a to a large extent there's long form for the sake of long form because it works for SEO. I think that it's been incentivized by Google, and I I think part of that reason has got to be as fancy as their machine learning algorithms are. It's got to be easy to look at length. I mean, if, if something is long, you know that effort. If something is long and you run some algorithms to make sure there's not a whole bunch of duplicate nonsense in there, that's an easy way to know that a certain amount of effort has gone in, an easy way to ha set a bar for quality without actually looking at quality directly. So I think that might be part of why long form has been incentivized. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I just find myself when I, when I, when I see a tweet and I see a link to an article, um, and I go click the article and it's this long, I kind of like go, can you tell me the point of this in this much like this? Like, can you tell me the point of, you know, so I kind of think that short medium form at some point is going to make a comeback when Google eventually learns, gets smart enough to understand that the quality of this piece of content is greater than, uh, the quality of this super long piece of content because the actual information is there and it's expressed more elegantly and it and it gets the point across then hope then I think hopefully everybody will move to that um, because people respond to incentives and so then I think people will move towards that and uh, and we will see a a uh, renaissance of short and, and medium form content and of course there's already been a renaissance of short form content in the sense if you look at Twitter um, and, and, and that works on Twitter, but then like in the world of articles, right? Uh, and you could argue uh, LinkedIn is driving medium form content because LinkedIn posts have to be 1300 characters, uh, which is good, which limits you to a certain amount. That's sort of like medium form. Um, and so you could argue that those, they're already having a bit of a renaissance in those media mediums. I hate saying media mediums. Let me just say mediums. Um, Whereas when in, if you're in the world of an article, a blog post, anything that you would come to from Google, um, then it's just always got to be long form for the sake of long form, which drives me bonkers. Drives me bonkers, man. Okay, next up. <clears throat> next up, topic of jealousy. Um, this is something I've been thinking about lately and i um, just going to be vulnerable for a moment here. My buddy Mike uh, tweeted out, uh, quickest way to kill joy is to compare yourself with others and covet their life. A tragedy is to model this behavior for your children. Um, and I replied, so true. I've been thinking a lot lately about that. I have a lot more jealousy in me than I'm comfortable admitting such a waste of energy. And um, yeah, it's just, I, I've been thinking about this in a lot of different ways. Um, I think that um, it's it's um, it's it's hard. I don't know. It's hard to um, it's hard to express a little bit. Um, 
I just find that um, as I've been trying to, you know, be in more of a learning mode and a content consumption mode on Twitter podcasts and whatnot, like I find that there's certain, you know, there's a saying like you want your friends to be, you want your friends to do well, but not better than you. Or what is that saying? Let me see if I can find that. Friends do well, but not better or something like that. It's a, um, what is this? Some people want you to do well. Oh, here we go. Some people want you to do well, but not better than them. Yeah, that's the phrase. And it's like, um, you know, it's like, it's like you want your friends and, and people to do well, but then when you see them doing better than you and you're like, oh man, I want, I don't want them to be do better than me. Then you, you feel jealous. And I'm just coming up against that in myself a lot. And I'm like, oh man, that's not good, dude. That's like, that's BS. Like, you know, that's not healthy at all. And, uh, trying to get rid of that. So I don't know if that's necessarily an easy thing to get rid of in yourself. Um, and I'm trying to do my best to, to do that because at the end of the day, it's it's counterproductive. It doesn't help you. It wastes your uh, energy. Um, it, it limits you from learning. Like if there's somebody who you don't want to learn from because you perceive them as being, you know, they're, oh, they're not smarter than me. They're not more successful than me. Why do I need to listen to them? And then they you could have something to learn from them. You know, like you could, if, if you block yourself off from, um, from learning from people, you're limiting yourself. You're ultimately weakening yourself. So, uh, so yeah, that's just something I'm working on. I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, it's more, I guess this feels like more of a confession than like a, an actionable tip <laughs> for you. But anyways, it is what it is. All right. Last up, cool, uh, commerce hero job that, uh, just landed is a B2B marketplace. Um, it is a B2B marketplace uh, in an interesting industry um, that is, um, just pulling this up here, uh, B2B marketplace play here on M2. So it's an interesting project. They're looking to hire somebody 75 to 150 an hour. So they have a good healthy budget, um, 10, 10 hours a week, you know, kind of a thing. And um, this is a, a directly for a merchant. Um, and so it's a multi-vendor situation again, marketplace. Um, so yeah, I think this is a cool gig, um, with somebody that, um, has, let's just, you know, the client is pretty deep in this industry, so they, they know what they're doing. Um, and, uh, yeah, know what they're doing, have a healthy budget. It's an interesting thing. I think this could be a really cool, uh, project. I think the initial thing is sort of like a pilot project um type of a thing and then to see to see how things work out and then i'm sure there'd be a much larger phase of work um after um after the fact so um and as i'm looking at these tags one of the tags on here is full service e-commerce agency so now i'm a little i should have looked at this a little closer nine times out of ten when people come to commerce hero they're looking for an individual freelancer full-time sometimes they're looking for an agency which i'm now realizing this client might be looking for an agency I should probably confirm that. <laughs> uh, and with the budget they have, it wouldn't be unusual for them to be looking for an agency. Um, so I should confirm that. But if you're interested in this, um, definitely click on the job link and request a match or you know, ping me on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever. You can check that out. All right. 
That's all I got for today. 28 minutes. Thank you for tuning in. And I hope you have an awesome Saturday, awesome weekend. I'll see you tomorrow.